You're listening to At The Core with Sarah Friend, in which I have conversations with women in leadership. As the president of a firm, I'm honored to be a leader and have this platform to connect with other women in leadership, to talk with them, hear their stories, and celebrate their unique journeys and impact. This episode, our guest is Serena Boston Ashby. Inspired by her time as a support specialist in public schools, Serena began her career in politics and public affairs. Serena is a board member for Northwest Health Foundation, Trillium Family Services, and HealthShare of Oregon. She is also an International Women's Forum Global Leadership Fellow. Currently, Serena is CEO of Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. Strong, smart, and bold. Three adjectives that immediately came to mind when I met you. And so you. you have such a you have such a boldness in your story. Thank you. I didn't know though, in meeting you, I didn't know until I read your bio that you ran for office at 27. I did. Tell me what, what drove you to do that? Yeah. And what was it like being the only woman, the only person of color to run for? And quite young. Yes. 27. So it's an interesting story. So, um, I can tell you it was, it starts back to a little bit of, um, an accident start to my political career. So, um, as CEO of Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest, I actually started off working for a very similar organization, which is known as Self Enhancement Inc. Yes. SEI. Yes. And this was 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't believe it's been that long, maybe a bit more. But I had um, a caseload where we were providing services to girls of color um, after school. And one of our partners as well was Girls Inc. Mm. And when I was advocating for a child in my caseload, I had just moved back to Oregon before I lived in Georgia for about eight years and I hadn't changed my voter registration to Oregon. And um, so I, um, you know, downloaded the form online and as I was filling it out and I was selecting the political party of my affiliation, I thought, I haven't lived in Oregon in a long time. I wonder what they're up to. And so I Googled them and the website was almost kind of like my first grader website. It was like not very well built. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this doesn't look good. And I don't know if it was the mood I was in that day. I think just like advocating for that child, like having a large caseload. And I think just, you know, being, um, I think young and open-minded and very direct. I looked at the phone number and I called them from my desk phone. (laughs) And the very first person who answered, I said, you know, I said, my name is Serena Boston. I'm 25 years old. I grew up in Oregon, but I've lived in the South for a while. I want to be a part of this party, you know, but like, you know, as a black woman and a person who works with kids, what are you going to do about the issues that I care for? And I just went off. And the person (laughs) on the other end was like, Okay. (laughs) And what's so funny is he said, I completely agree with you. And I said, I promise, I bet you get a lot of crank calls. Mm -hmm. And this was like after the 2004 presidential election. And so I said, I bet you get a lot of crank calls, but a lot of unhappy people. And I said, you know, I am a good volunteer. My parents were politically active. Why don't I meet you for a cup of coffee? And so I did a few days later. And then the next month they offered me a job. So I worked um, for the Democratic National Committee. 
I was on staff out of the the Democratic National Committee out of Washington, D.C., but I was named the constituency director for Oregon. And so my job was to do community engagement, but all year round. Mm -hmm. So um, after that, the 2006 election, which is where I cut my teeth on electoral work, um, a mentor of mine who was the first black woman to be elected to the Oregon State Senate retired after 25 years of leadership. And I knew that my state rep was going to run for her seat. And so at the time, I think I would just turn 27. I talked with her about it. She encouraged me and the seat hadn't opened up in a while. And so at that point, there were 14 others interested. Oh, my gosh. And I was the only woman. I was the youngest by about eight. No, I think must have been nine years. Um, And uh, I was the only person of color. And by the time it came to file to run, other persons had moved to other districts to run where there weren't challengers Mm -hmm. or some might have said others came to their senses Um, because like running for office is a huge commitment. I mean, it's, you've got to have the ability to get time off from work. And if you're elected, your employer has to, you know, allow you to be missing many months a year. And so, you know, I say some people came to their senses, but they probably realized it was a big personal investment. At the time I was single. I had a dog. I shared a house with a roommate. (laughs) My life is set up for this. This is fine. You know, and it was very risky and, you know, I had support from my parents. And so, um, I ran and uh, I had two other challengers. One was rather independently wealthy, but had worked in public affairs for some time. And the other was the person who got elected, who I think is great. You know, running for office as a diverse candidate so young, it was like the greatest job interview of all time. Um, It allowed people to really see how I performed. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to raise a lot of money um, and really just like be under pressure but lean into what I believed. You really realize not just how much commonality people have, but that people are experiencing a lot of the same things and that they rely on leaders Mm -hmm. where they can't get to make laws or policies or influence things themselves. Um, And for that experience, I'm very grateful. Mm -hmm. I came in second place. I'm just curious. um, I would have never had the courage yeah. to do something like that at 27 or have that conversation at 25, right? Yeah. To call up and just let them have it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where, where do you think that comes from for you? Yeah. Thank you. It's a great question. Um, I think, I think it's in me. Mm-hmm. Um, my father, who's no longer living, um, was really a trailblazer and he had never met a stranger. He was mm-hmm. just like a people's person. Um, And in the 1960s, 70s and 80s was a black man in corporate America where there really weren't any or many. I remember about the time I was four or five, him talking with my mother about how he wanted to take me to events. Mm. And this is before like, take your daughter to work day, take your kids to work day. And so there was this reception and he thought, he said to my mom, I think this is a great idea. And it takes her in. And she said, sure. So, you know, my mom dressed me up and all of this. And we got in the car and I don't really remember what it was. It was like, like a mid afternoon event that went into an evening reception. So we get out the car. And my dad says to me, Serena, you're going to meet a lot of adults here. And this is going to seem really weird. So 
I'm just going to teach you how to shake a hand. Mm -hmm. I'm going to teach you how to introduce yourself, shake a hand and start a conversation. And I was like, okay. And he did it. I don't think he thought I was paying attention. But when we walked in, I was like, hi, I'm Serena Boston, Lou Boston's daughter. It's so nice to meet you. I really like your shoes. And I was just walking around. I think he was just work in the room. Work in that room. But I think it was such a formative experience for me as a young yeah. person that I think just cultivated that in me. Yeah. That, you know, through personal relations, inserting yourself, you can make a space for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to an all-women's high school. That was also, you know, very um, nourishing to my sense of leadership and claiming my space. I went to an all women's, all black college as well. But I do think it really did start with that event and my father that gave me that um, courage to just pick up the phone and say, this is not good, but I'm glad to help. Yeah. That lended to me, you know, running for office at 27. Have uh, I'm curious, have you ever read the book Unapologetically Ambitious? No, but I probably should. Oh my God. You have got to read that book. I probably should. It is so good. It's a, it's about, it's written by a woman of color. I'll read it. Who, um, who identified a career goal of being a CEO. And for women, I think it can be hard to say that out loud. Absolutely. That I aspire to this role. Absolutely. Um, And I love that you either fight through that urge to diminish ourselves. Yes. Or um, or you've just come to a place of of that unapologetically ambitious leadership style. I love it. I will definitely read the book. But a couple of things that I just thought of is I kept that secret. Yeah. I mean, I didn't tell anybody at work that um, I worked with. I didn't tell the board. I didn't tell my spouse at the time. I didn't tell anybody mm-hmm. that that's what I wanted mm-hmm. because I knew if I did, depending on the time of day, the person, they might be like, well, or I don't know. It was a very sacred secret um, because I needed to keep it to myself because I knew it wouldn't be well received, mm-hmm. but it also was precious to me. Mm-hmm. But it speaks to the fact that like women, when we declare and are ambitious, we're not really allowed to be honest about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in some ways it was sacred to me, but in some ways I didn't like that I had to do it that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and then there was one more thing I was going to say, oh, I think, you know, about me running for office, what's true about women and ambition and just I think can be true around women in leadership is that we like to wait to be asked mm-hmm. before we do something. Yeah. We, you know, we don't just like decide. Yeah. So to speak is something like don't wait to be asked, yes. yeah. you know, make that declaration for yourself. You have two young girls. Yes. And I can only imagine (laughs) the conversations you have with them. Yes. As you're raising up these girls to have a different mindset. Yes. You were given that gift by your father and sounds like your mother as well. Yes. So what are some of the what are some of the things that are most important to you to instill in your girls? I'm so it's it's interesting. Um, I would say, you know good character. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also do teach them that the golden rule is a little subjective, Mm -hmm. you know, like doing onto others as they would have do onto you is good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to treat you right. You're going to have a good life. I mean, we teach, I think a lot of, I think that we teach girls that if they, if they behave well, Mm -hmm. they're going to be treated well. Mm -hmm. And if they are nice, then nice things are going to happen to them. And so I've really been, Speaking to my daughters as they get older about the importance of manners, kindness, 
caring for others, but that they will be treated differently because of the way that they were born and that they need to expect that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I've been teaching to them related to that is to feel very comfortable speaking up about it. Mm -hmm. And to pointing out when they might feel like a microaggression mm -hmm. or they're just not sure or someone blatantly treat, mistreats them or mistreats somebody in their presence. Yeah. So, you know, it's like accepting the 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 like the circumstances of who they are, but also, you know, ask for what you need and be very vocal. Starting a couple of years ago, my girlfriends and family were like, you know, the oldest is just like you. And I was like, I want to talk about. And then last week. I came out from the storage area in our backyard and there's like a creek back there. And when I came through the sliding glass door, my oldest child was standing there and like pinning me in from the creek or moving forward into the house. <laughs> and she put her hands together and said, I'd like just a moment of your time. <laughs> and you know how you just look and you just see yourself. Yes. And, you know, and so like this is where I'm at in my motherhood journey. Yes. Because it's like only going to be more of this. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, the wash, rinse, repeat, all of that has been in tandem. And it's made me a much, I think, a very good mother in the, the ability to just accept things. Yeah. And it's made me a more grounded leader. Yeah. Um, and I've been able to relate to staff so much better mm -hmm. who, you know, um, whether they have families or not, or they're a caretaker, just understanding that, you know, we can't be one dimensional in this workforce anymore. Right. Um, and you can't then, just, you, it's impossible. You can't turn it off. You can't for the time that you're at work and then magically right. turn it back on when right. you're done with work. I just found like pretending I wasn't a CEO at home and right. pretending I wasn't a mother or a family member at work was excruciating. And yeah. I've done, you know, my best to create work cultures and systems and compensation models and policies yeah. that don't, that don't mimic what I've been through. Mm -hmm. You know, in my role now, I am, and we're really proud of our work culture that I think is competitive for people who are starting their careers. People like me, when I was 25, they yeah. come into youth development work to start their career, which means they're younger. Yeah. Um, and they're starting either a personal life, whether they have a family or not, they're starting into that phase of adulthood. And so we've been really sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. But that comes from the experiences I've had. Yeah. Well, I love that. Um, I love the continuity of your life story that your dad, you. Lou, yeah. and your mother raised this strong, smart, and bold Thank you. Woman. Thank you. Um, who now is leading this incredible purpose driven nonprofit in our yes. area who's dedicated to creating pathways that maybe they don't have the same life yes. experience that you had. Absolutely. And so who is going to come around them to show them yes. that they too can be strong, smart, and bold? Absolutely. So, you know, our mission, again, is to inspire girls and youth to be strong, smart, and bold. And we do that through after school and year round programming. Um, and a conversation that we often have at an, at the national level of Girls Inc. Because there's 77 Girls Inc.s. Mm -hmm. um, and then here for our uh, Girls Inc. is what how do we define a, a successful young person? Mm -hmm. How do we just define a successful girl? So we have youth in our programs that have, you know, like super high GPAs, their National Honor Society, their AP classes, all these things. Um, and then we have girls who just like struggle to get to school every day, mm -hmm. don't want to be at school. And their grades reflect that because of a variety of circumstances that have nothing to do with how smart they are yeah, um, or how, how, how hardworking they are. And so 
we want to make equal space. Mm -hmm. I think also um, we admire achievement in a way that's not healthy for young girls. Mm. So, you know, there's a lot of great studies that show that girls who are high achieving have the most difficulty with depression and anxiety and asking for help. Mm. And one of the reasons why is that if you're a high achieving girl like I was um, as a younger person, um, you either have been socialized that like you can handle anything so you don't ask for help. Yeah. Or you've been socialized that asking for help, you'll get in trouble Or you like take on greater risk because you're like, I do all of this stuff. I must have it made. If this is kind of like not that great of a thing, I can fix it on my own. Mm -hmm. And so I think the thing about admiring achievement really needs to be unpacked for young people, period, but especially women, so that we have other ways of um, qualifying what success looks like. And we very much are embracing that reality at Girls Inc. as we provide top tier services So that, you know, despite achievement or success, we really look at the whole person Mm -hmm. so that these young people and specifically girls know what it means to be a whole person throughout their life. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and it reminds me of this whole idea of, you know, the a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. Right. Yes. And um, what I thought of when you were describing that is that um, I, I love the idea that, you know, what we're what we're the pressure that we're putting on, especially young high achieving girls, right. By telling them, um, very fixed things about themselves yes. versus really rewarding and celebrating the effort, yes. uh, the work, the perseverance, yes. you know, instead of only focusing on the results. Yes. Right. And because yes. the girls that you are working with, um, they probably, they're probably working harder. Very they have, much. you know, they're, they're coming back from circumstances that many of us would never even imagine. Absolutely. Right. And barriers that we don't see. Yes. And so that whole idea of really instilling in these young women, this growth mindset around let's focus less about the results and more on attitude, you know, perseverance, um, absolutely right. And celebrate those things. Yes. There's a national study because we're evaluated nationally. And then with each girls Inc in our network that pointed to the fact that girls Inc participants are more willing to try harder math and to ask for harder science classes Mm -hmm. and do more challenging reading, not because they think that they're good at it, but because they like it. Yes. Yeah. And that is a huge mentality difference. Yes, Yes, it's huge. It's huge. So it means if you like it, you feel comfortable. So if you get a math problem wrong, you're like, it doesn't matter. Right. I like it. So I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Or the math problem being right or wrong doesn't really tell me if I belong in this math class. Right. You know, it's I like it and I want to be in this. I'm curious about this. I'm curious. And maybe they don't go on to get, you know, a a bachelor's in science of, you know, mathematics or maybe they don't go to NASA or they don't go to giant tech or something, but they like math. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. Um, Because, again, it speaks to that growth mindset and just um, an expansion of who you are and being able to be comfortable with that. Yeah. One of one of the things I love to ask is what you know, we have five pretty strong core values that are alive and well in our organization. And I'm just wondering of our five, is there any of those that speak to you? But I love this one. Be curious. So um, I didn't get great or comfortable at asking questions until almost like a few years ago, I think. 
Um, I think, you know, like maybe in a classroom setting, sure. Um, but I was just, I think the type of thinker that like asked questions later mm. and I learned to get comfortable at being curious initially. And that was like something for me to grow into. I think some of it's personality, some of it is work experience. Some of it is like feeling comfortable being different than others and like speaking up. But um, I have found that being curious is such an important value because it allows other people to be curious as well. Mm -hmm. And how I've come into my leadership roles or help organizations be successful, help the communities that we serve flourish is to start off by asking, why do we do that? Mm -hmm. Do we have to do it that way? Do we like doing it that way? Can we do it better? How would we do this? And I think that that curiosity has been liberating for me. It's given me a set of information that I would have never had, mm. had I not been curious to help me make good decisions. Or sometimes it's like, oh, I now I see why we do it that way. Mm -hmm. We need to probably stay in that space and do it like that. Or um, more oftentimes than not, go the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. um, you know, companies, organizations, institutes in this country are found on like long histories of underrepresentation yeah. and sort of just like excluding people, exclu yeah. excluding diverse thought points, ways of doing things. I think my role as a leader is to be curious, mm -hmm. to help us establish new practices and establish new values so that we can look towards a new day. It's not about what's right or wrong. It's about why and what mm -hmm. can we do better together. Yeah. And, um, Growing that value, it was not easy, but it really did help me see how transformative it could be for myself and mm -hmm. others. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your story. Yes. I know that these are stories that need to be told. Yes. And I can sit here all day. Thank, so can I. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of At the Core with Sarah Friend was brought to you by The Partners Group. Visit us at thepartnersgroup.com or find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback. At the Core with Sarah Friend is produced by the Partners Group marketing team. Our content writer and editor is Carrie Conroy. Taylor Capic handles audio engineering and graphics. Kyle Lusk is our podcast administrator and Alyssa Mueller is in charge of project management and guest outreach. Courtney and Tommy oversees our podcast production. Find all of our episodes at thepartnersgroup.com, as well as on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Advisory services offered through TPG Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor and wholly owned subsidiary of the Partners Group, LLC. LLC.